Hello and welcome to the commentary for 369, Hosea chapter 9. So I was originally going to do chapters 9 and 10 like I've been doing two chapters at a time. Uh, especially when it, we get to God's wrath, you know, I like to just read as much as possible, get through it, get it over with, right? Nobody loves to spend a lot of time in God's wrath. <laughs> um, I don't either, but there was so much in chapter nine that I wanted to touch on and share with you that I felt it was necessary to split it up. Um, one thing that was really interesting was that in this chapter, Hosea switches back and forth in his narrative point of view. It seems he's talking from his own personal point of view. And then other times he says, like in verse 10, the Lord says, O Israel, when I first found you. In verse 12, he says, I will take them from you. But then verse 14, he switches back to first person point of view where he's praying to God. He says, O Lord, what should I request for your people? And then verse 15, back to God's point of view where he says, the Lord says, and then verse 17, he's back to his own first person point of view where he says, my God will reject the people of Israel. So back and forth, and that just struck me as interesting. I don't know if that's happened before and I just didn't notice it, but it was worth mentioning. So verse one, O people of Israel, do not rejoice as other nations do, for you have been unfaithful to your God, hiring yourselves out like prostitutes, worshiping other gods on every threshing floor. Now, if you remember, a threshing floor was usually at the top of a hill near or in the center of the farmer's land, right? They'd have these hills, threshing floors on top. That's basically where, I don't know the exact method, but they basically trampled down all the um, stalks and they separated the grain from the stalks. Okay, that's where they collected the harvest and stored it and whatever. It was on the threshing floor. So because these were on hills, they had also built altars to worship false gods, particularly Baal. And of course, we know that the one true God of Israel doesn't so much like that, right? So party's over. He's had it. Um, it's been going on long enough. He says in verse two, so now your harvests will be too small to feed you. There will be no grapes for making new wine. You may no longer stay here in the Lord's land. God is not only saying I'm going to punish you, but you are banished from this land. Now let's think about this, okay? These are God's people and there's a covenant that God had with his people and that was to give them the promised land and God was going to drive out the enemy before them. And they were to completely inhabit the land and destroy the other nations, the sinful pagan-worshipping nations. But they failed to do that. Instead, they let a lot of those towns survive. And unfortunately, a lot of the Israelites married Moabite women, specifically the Bible talks about that, and that the men began to follow the women's religious rituals. And if you think about that today, that makes perfect sense, right? Because typically faith and communion and fellowship, it usually resonates more with the women than it does with the men. So if you have people of two different faiths, let's say you have a Catholic man that marries a Baptist woman, he's probably going to go to the Baptist church most of the time, not all of the time. So it makes sense that the men would have gotten off course and started the 
started partaking of the religious, cultural behaviors of their Moabite wives. But this has led them to sins beyond comprehension. His number one rule is do not put other gods before me. So this is pretty serious. They're going to be banished from the land. It makes me think of Adam and Eve when they were banished from the Garden of Eden. And then Cain when he was banished from his homeland because of how he killed Abel. So makes sense. That's what God does. He banishes them. But it is interesting because they had this covenant to take this land, but they did not do what God instructed them to do. And God is a patient God and he put up with it and he put up with it and he he would oppress them and correct them and oppress them and correct them and they would seek him and he would forgive them and he pursues them. I mean, it's just this ongoing cycle, right? Well, eventually God has had enough. And so now he's saying this is what will happen. And it gets into specifics about what they're no longer going to be able to partake of. You've decided to follow this false god, fine. Then you don't get me. Good luck with that. He says, you will make no offerings of wine to the Lord. None of your sacrifices there when you're out in the land of Egypt. See, they're going, they're being returned to the land of Egypt, which is ironic, right? Because that's where God freed them from. Now they're going back into oppression under Egypt. And in Assyria, you will eat food that is ceremonially unclean. Now, if you look down to verse 6, it says, Even if you escape destruction from Assyria, Egypt will conquer you and Memphis will bury you. There will be no escape from this exile. They have, in the past, gone to Assyria for help, gone to Egypt for help. And God's saying, neither of these places will help you. Either way, it doesn't matter what you do here. Checkmate. You're done. Verse 7. The time of Israel's punishment has come. The day of payment is here. Um, then it talks about how the people say the prophets are crazy and the inspired men are fools. Verse 8. The prophet is a watchman over Israel for my God. They have no regard for the prophets. Not only that, they, um, they face hostility even in the house of God of all places. Verse 9, the things my people do are so depraved as what they did in Gibeah long ago. God will not forget. God is comparing their depravity and their actions and their sins to something that happened in Gibeah. So when God does that, that would be like the ultimate example. So what the heck happened in Gibeah? Well, remember, if you go back to Judges chapter 19... Um, I remember this day, I remember this story, and it's so disturbing. It was a R-rated lesson for sure. Um, there's this Levite, and he is going after his concubine. They had an argument. She was upset at him. She returned to her father's land. And he lived in, the Levite lived in Ephraim, and she was from Bethlehem. Okay, so she returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. After about four months, her husband set out to Bethlehem. So he saddles up the donkeys with his uh, servant man, and they head out to retrieve her. They end up staying with her father for a few days. Everybody's eating and getting along. It seems the father wants to try to keep them around as long as possible for whatever reason. Finally, the Levite man says, nope, I gotta go. He gets the concubine, saddles up the donkeys again, and they're headed back home. Well, it's a long journey, 
And the servant suggests, hey, let's stay in these towns close by. We're tired. And he says, no, we need to continue on because we have to stay with people, um, our people. So we'll be safer, right? So, so if they go to Gibeah, which is a little further, then at least they'll know they'll be safer because they're surrounded by more Israelite people. That would be the assumption. But ironically, this stay in Gibeah turned out to be a very tragic event in biblical history. And it turned things on a dime. So where you had 12 tribes originally, remember, in the promised land, um, this changes everything. So remember, he and his servant are staying at, they end up staying in this man's house at Gibeah. And all these troublemakers surround the house. They're pounding on the door. Send out your, send out the men so we can have sex with them. That's sick and twisted. But what's even worse is the man of the house says in verse 23, the old man stepped outside to talk to them. No, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing for this man is a guest in my house and such a thing would be shameful. Here, take my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. I will bring them out to you and you can abuse them and do whatever you like. But don't do such a shameful thing to this man. That's horrible, right? What a tragic disregard for women. It, it just infuriates me. I'm sure it does you too. So they have their way with these women. It doesn't talk about um, how what they do to the daughter, but it does talk about the concubine. It says that she was raped all night, basically to death. And then in the morning, see, he left her out all night. What a jerk. And then in the morning, when he goes to leave, he opens the door. She's laying on the ground with her hands on the threshold. He says, come on, get up, let's go. But she's dead. So he takes her body back home with him. So he cuts her body into 12 pieces, which is just sick and twisted in itself. So somehow he delivers those 12 pieces, one to each tribe of Israel, to incite anger against the town of Gibeah. Remember, the town of Gibeah is in the land of Benjamin. These are their own people. So all of the other 11 tribes band together. They unite to attack the town of Gibeah. And initially they just said, hey, send out all these evil men that did this so that they can be killed. But the town of Gibeah refused to turn over those men. So they attacked the town of Gibeah and God gave them success. But it got a little weird. And um, it's a long story that actually is worth review if you want to go back to read Judges 19 through 21. There's a lot there. Um, because it wasn't a simple victory. So there was some back and forth there. But anyways, that was what God is referring to here in verse 9 when we go back to Hosea chapter 9. Sorry, I got off course, but that's, it's important when God's referring to this as the example of depravity and how far they've slipped. So when you think about men surrounding a house, demanding to have sex with male visitors, and then the owner of the home kicks out the women. They're raped all night and killed. That's depraved. That's evil. I'll read verse 9 again. The things my people do are as depraved as what they did in Gibeah long ago. God will not forget. He will surely punish them for their sins. They're back there again. So they all united against this evil that happened back then. But now God's saying this is all around. What happened in Gibeah? You're all like that now. And then verse 10, God is saying, you know, it used to be so good between us. 
The Lord says, O Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. Oh, what a beautiful thing. But then they deserted me for Baal Peor, giving themselves to that shameful idol. Soon they became vile, as vile as the god they worshipped. Remember Baal? Requires child sacrifices. They have orgies in the temple. Verse 11 gets real. The glory of Israel will fly away like a bird, for your children will not be born, or grow in the womb, or even be conceived. Even if you do have children who grow up, I will take them from you. It will be a terrible day when I turn away and leave you alone. That's disturbing, isn't it? God's going to take their children. And if you're like me, I'm like, really, God, come on. I thought my God was a loving God. I thought he was merciful. But when we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's talking about blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. So here it talks about the curses for disobedience. And I'm just going to read that to you, verse 15 through 19. But if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be cursed. Your children and your crops will be cursed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be cursed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be cursed. So they knew this. God had warned them over and over and over. And yes, the punishment is severe. We can't even imagine that. But they were aware of that punishment ahead of time. Those who knew God's laws, who knew their history of their people, they knew this. But see, the people weren't listening to their prophets anymore. They chastised them. They were hostile towards them. They certainly didn't care about God or God's word or the history of their people. That's how far they had fallen from him. I'd say we're there now. Wouldn't you? Oh, in verse 14, when... Hosea now prays to God, O Lord, what should I request for your people? I will ask for wombs that don't give birth and breasts that give no milk. You know, God has said in his word that children are blessings from him. When his people had lots of children, that's how God blessed them. Children and crops, rains, those are all God's blessings. So he has removed his blessings from them. So Hosea has the fear of God in him. He knows what God can do. And he he doesn't like that idea either that God's going to take children. And it's heartbreaking. So he's praying, and I would too if I was him, that children don't even get born. I will ask for wombs that don't give birth because I know God's serious. And I know he means what he says. And yeah, it would be better if women didn't have children than to have children and have them killed. God's not messing around here. Verse 15, the Lord says, All their wickedness began at Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is a hotbed for idol worship. It's kind of like their central theme park, right? There I begin to hate them. I will drive them from my land because of their evil actions. Verse 16, the people of Israel are struck down. Their roots are dried up and they will bear no more fruit. That's children. They will bear no more children. Verse 17, 
my God, will reject the people of Israel because they will not listen or obey. They will be wanderers, homeless among the nations. So that's where they're at. And I know it's not really a touchy-feely warm message, but it is the reality of God's wrath. You know, back then before Jesus came and made the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, the wages of sin was death. And that's what they would experience. So that's where we're at. Have a great day. (laughs) Um, Anyways, that's really it for today. I hope you all have a great day. I will talk to you soon.